Good morning, Jason. Today's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 17, verses 1 to 27, which can be found on page 14 in your church Bibles. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, or the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it will, shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money. Every male among the men of Abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. 
Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in a house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yin Fan, thanks uh, for reading for us. Uh, please do make sure you've got sight of a Bible there, open on page 14, uh, Genesis 17. Uh, we're committed here at St. John's to uh, working our way through books of the Bible, and so it means we can't skip out passages like Genesis uh, 17. But there are uh, great truths uh, in store for us. Uh, let me lead us in prayer again, though, as we begin. Some words from Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Father God, we pray that be true for each and every one of us this morning. Please open our eyes. Please show us wonderful things in your law that we might see Jesus, our need of him more clearly, that we might delight in him more deeply. In his name we pray. Amen. As uh, Aidan mentioned as well, you might want sight of an outline. It is particularly uh, busy, but may uh, be of help to you. Being secure, being secure in any relationship is vital, isn't it? Trying to be friends with someone who is fickle and volatile is hard work. Uh, You arrange to meet up for a meal and they don't turn up. Uh, You say the wrong thing by mistake and they fly off the handle. We need to know who we can trust. When Russian forces say there's a ceasefire, only then to bomb fleeing citizens. It's wicked, isn't it? But when someone promises, assures, support, and delivers on their word, it is invaluable. And knowing if God has committed himself to us, well, that is critical. What confidence can we have in our relationship with God? Often it feels, doesn't it, as if one week we're up, the next week we're down. Maybe it's even one day to the next. We can grow uncertain. How can I know God is for me? How can I know he'll be with me through thick and thin? Well, Genesis 17 gives God's people rock solid assurance. He is our God. He is committed to being in a responsive, personal relationship with us. He is pledged to know us and be known by us. Now we're going to do things slightly differently this morning. We're going to try and whiz through the chapter relatively quickly and then think through what circumcision is doing here, how it points us to Jesus and what it means for us. You'll see that outline on the handout, and uh, helpfully the chapter begins with a headline or a summary. Verses 1 and 2 again. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So first we get God's covenant summary or synopsis. Uh, Just uh, think 
back to what you were doing 13 years ago. Can you think back 13 years, dial back the clock? Can you remember? I was, uh, I think, finishing up at Theological College. It feels almost a lifetime ago. Well, for our children, it was a lifetime ago. And I wonder if we spotted the time gap between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. 13 years. 13 years of silence, at least as far as we know. 13 years of Abraham living by faith, clinging to the Lord's promises. 13 years of waiting. And now once again, the Lord God takes the initiative. The Lord appears to Abraham and says, walk before me and be blameless. It's language used of Enoch and Noah. It's shorthand for both relationship and obedience. And it shows us the heart of this covenant is a personal, responsive relationship with God. So do you see in verse 7, God establishes his covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Or the end of verse 8, I will be their God. Here's the heart of the covenant, to walk before God, to know him and be known by him, to have him as our God, to be in relationship with him. Perhaps we saw how just a few days ago that the Polish, Czech and Slovenian prime ministers got the the train right into Ukraine. Did you see that? I got the train to visit Zelensky. There is no substitute for being with someone, for someone. And here God wants to know Abraham. He wants to know his people personally and relationally. It's a promise running through the whole Bible. Perhaps we've always thought the Bible was just a list of rules or maybe random history. But it's all about a God who wants a people for himself. And he has done everything to bring them to himself and know them through Jesus. So God establishes this covenant with Abraham. But did we notice it's the first time something's required of Abraham? Up until now it's been unconditional, but now something's required of him. And we mustn't think, though, that it's some sort of exchange, since God's already given the promises, the covenant, unconditionally, back in chapters 12 and 15. God's not changing the rules. He's not making a bargain with Abraham, like when you promise a child chocolate, but then you add in afterwards, only if you're good enough or you behave for the whole day. No, these are the conditions in which God can give rather than get all he desires. God doesn't want a distant or half-hearted relationship. He wants to know Abraham and his people personally, relationally. It's not as if Abraham has righteousness by faith, but now he has to top it up by being blameless. Now, this is just what God expects of those who know him. Generous grace demands a response of faith, and faith will always be shown in how we live. But it does create a tension in the narrative, doesn't it? If we were here last week, do you remember Abraham's just messed up royally in chapter 16 with the the, the Hagar episode? The question begins to loom. Will Abraham respond with righteousness and covenant faithfulness? What about if he doesn't? Things with Adam didn't end well. Humanity cut off, creation cursed due to disobedience. We have another bright start with Noah, but again it ends with the, the curse at Babel for the same reason. Will this covenant go the same way? 
with Genesis 1 to 11 in the background, a huge question mark looms over the outcome of this relationship if it is in any sense dependent on human obedience. And we're just going to have to leave that hanging for a moment because next we're showing the vast extent of God's promises in verses 3 to 8. As God's covenant swells, the promises spread and expand. You see, this personal responsive relationship isn't just for Abraham but for many at the covenant so huge God gives Abraham a new name verse 3 then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him behold my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations no longer shall your name be called Abraham but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations It's like the curtains being drawn back on the scale of the covenant. Not just one, not just a few, but many, a multitude of nations coming from Abraham. And not just nations, but but kings, do you see there, in in the status of the covenant. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. It's repeated again, verse 16, to Sarah. And a little heads up to the reader to look out for a royal line. What king might come from Abraham and Sarah? Also, there's a lot more specificity added here. So far, it's been quite broad brushstrokes, but in this chapter, it's underlined that the covenant's going to come through Sarah's child, her only child, verse 16. We even get his name, verse 19, Isaac. And finally, we see the span of this covenant. It's going to be everlasting. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, in a sense, none of this is new. It's building on what's come before. It's unpacking, enlarging, intensifying the promises already made to Abraham. But what is new in this chapter is God's covenant sign, verses 9 to 14. Here's where we're going to be spending most of our time, not because I find circumcision the most fascinating thing in the world, but because this is the first time we come across it in the Bible and because of where it leads us in the Bible. So what are we to learn about circumcision? Well, firstly, it's a hidden sign. It's something secret, verse 9. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so it got me thinking, well, why circumcision? I mean, why not an an ear piercing or even a, a belly button ring as one of my brothers used to have? In fact, I'm the only one of five children not to have a piercing in my family. I couldn't an, an eyebrow bar do? Or surely a tattoo would have been fine? Well, isn't one of the reasons because circumcision's hidden? Uh, No one else would know. It's a personal, a private sign, a secret sign. On the outside, you couldn't spot a Jew from a Gentile, a a hidden sign. 
it's also a sign from birth, verse 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. And we read on, we find it's a sign for all. Every male, verse 12, throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. I know circumcision is by its very nature only for men, but what's underlined here, isn't it, that no matter whether you're old or young, slave and free, you all need to get done. It's a sign for all, at least all men, There are to be no exceptions. Also, it's a permanent sign. Again, carrying on in verse 13. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Here is an everlasting sign for an everlasting covenant. You can't undo it. And there were no circumcision removal parlors back in Jerusalem. Uh, You can lose your membership card to the gym. You can even uh, get a tattoo removed. You can't undo circumcision. And finally, it's a necessary sign. Verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. If you didn't have the sign, you were out. Our boys like are listening to secret seven books in the car sometimes. You know, those are Enid Blyton ones. If you know the stories where all the kids have to have the right password to get into the clubhouse. No password, no membership. And so verse 14 is basically saying, if you don't have the cut, then you will be cut off. But why does this sign of circumcision come here and not in chapter 12 or chapter 15? Isn't it interesting? Circumcision as a sign of the covenant comes not when the covenant is given unconditionally in chapters 12 or 15, but when Abraham's relational response to God is outlined. A covenant is a picture both of God's commitment to his people and their response. So it's a bit like a wedding ring. If you're married, you can look at your ring and think, I am one to whom promises have been made. But you can also look at your ring and think, I'm not my own, I belong to another. I have responsibilities. I must live a certain way now. So circumcision is a sign of the covenant, both that God has made promises to Abraham, but also of his response. Circumcision becomes a reminder to the Israelites they're meant to walk before God and be blameless. Every Israelite male has this indelible mark. Every day they're reminded, I'm part of God's covenant people. He's made promises to me. The Lord is my God. But they also remember how they should live as one of his people. And it's also like a wedding ring in that you you wear one to show you're married, but wearing one doesn't make you married. Circumcision marked you out as part of God's people, but it didn't make you part of God's people. So in later generations, circumcision would remind Israel God was for them. He was their God. He committed, covenanted himself to them. Circumcision was a reminder to an Israelite they could be confident of a personal relationship with God. It signified the Lord was their God. But it's also a picture of their need to have a circumcised heart. 
You see, physical circumcision was always meant to be accompanied with spiritual circumcision, which I think is shorthand for walking before the Lord and being blameless. At the at bottom of that, the handout, this is where that little diagram comes in. You'll see that diagram. I hope it is more clarifying than confusing. Uh, circumcision is given in Genesis 17. That's where we start on the left, if you can see it on the screen or, or the outline of the ha- handout. But then as we read on in the Old Testament, we find circumcision being spoken of in two seemingly different ways. Uh, There's still the physical circumcision. So in uh, Joshua 5, uh, they realize they've forgotten to get circumcised. So all the males in Israel get circumcised. But there's also this picture of spiritual circumcision. That's the the, the bottom arrow. It's linked to the beginning of Genesis, uh, Genesis 17, the need to walk blamelessly before God. So at the end of the first five books of the Bible, in Deuteronomy we read, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. But Israel fail. And so in Jeremiah 4 verse 4, the prophet says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your heart, so men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it, because of the evil of your deeds. A little later in chapter 9, the, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. But there is this, this wonderful ray of hope in Deuteronomy 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Did you spot that? God says he will circumcise the hearts of his people so they can love him with all their heart and with all their soul. Or in other words, walk before him and be blameless. Circumcision has this physical and spiritual dimension and the physical was always meant to point to the spiritual reality. But again, we're just going to have to leave that hanging for now. If this is a kind of incentive to stay awake, then I hope it works. We're just going to leave that hanging because far more quickly, uh, in verses 15 to 20, when we get the promise of God's covenant, seed. Uh, Again, just what we get a new name, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And there's loads in these verses. In fact, we're going to come back and look at them again next week. Uh, But isn't the big idea, God's promise, his covenant is going to be through Isaac, not Ishmael. Verse 16, I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her. Uh, I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Verse 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year he is the seed and then Abraham obeys God and so we have God's covenant sealed the sign is enacted verse 22 when he had finished talking with him God went up from Abraham then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those in his uh, born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him 
Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. We we get the, the big idea, don't we? But it might seem a little strange. Uh, We've just been told it's Isaac, not Ishmael, who God's going to establish the covenant with. But then it's rammed home. Ishmael is circumcised. Perhaps a hint, even from the outset, that not all who receive the physical sign are automatically in. And it shows us how even from the outset that the physical sign was always meant to point to something deeper. Also, if you you put your fingers over verses 15 to 21, do you realise we could skip quite happily from verse 14 to verse 22? And then we remember that big question mark we had hanging at the beginning. How can God keep an unconditional covenant when there's now this condition on sinful man to walk before him and be blameless? After all, Humanity doesn't have a great track record at keeping covenants. But could this little sandwich structure be telling us Abraham's seed will be the solution? Perhaps we want to read Galatians 3 later to see how Abraham's offspring, his seed, Jesus Christ, is the solution to us being unable to keep the covenant. Or as we'll do now in just a a few moments, we can see where circumcision points us in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, who knew his Bible pretty well, says in Romans 2, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. It's a a pretty neat little summary, isn't it? So if you look back at that diagram again, we can see physical circumcision is fulfilled in Christ's death. If you've ever wondered why Christians don't circumcise baby boys, here's why. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 11, you'll see it there on on the diagram. In Jesus Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. A spiritual or true circumcision is something done by God, not by hands, and it's the cutting off of the old sinful nature. You see, at the cross, our old sinful nature was cut off. Uh, So circumcision is fulfilled in dying with Christ, being united with him in his death. It's why Paul contrasts boasting in circumcision with boasting in the cross. Uh, But what about spiritual circumcision? We still need to walk before God and be blameless. We, We need circumcised hearts, which wonderfully God has done by giving us his Holy Spirit. Uh, Physical circumcision has ended, but not spiritual. So just uh, listen to these verses, they're listed at the bottom. 1 Corinthians 7.19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. Galatians 5.6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. 
Galatians 6.15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I hope we get the picture. We still need to walk before the Lord and be blameless. And so Christians, all those trusting in Jesus Christ, are the true circumcision. You'll see there on the right, Philippians 3, 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There's the far right of the diagram. We're now able to walk before God and be blameless because of Jesus. But so what? I'm well aware some of you may be thinking, thanks Tom for the lesson in biblical theology and vomiting a load of Bible verses at us. Uh, What difference though is this going to make for me when I get out of bed tomorrow morning? How is this going to help me keep going for another week? Well, I do think this is immensely encouraging. Genesis 17 works the same way today as it did for those first reading it. A circumcision reminds you you're part of God's people and motivates you to live like it. Circumcision is a picture of God's commitment to us and a pledge of our commitment to him. Just as physical circumcision was a reminder you'd been chosen by God, only if accompanied with heart circumcision, so true circumcision, that is being united with Christ in his death and having our sinful nature cut off, is a reminder we have a relationship with God if accompanied with true heart circumcision. So just looking at the the outline again, can we see how they match up? Uh, True circumcision, being united with Christ's death, is hidden. No one can see on the outside if we're a Christian, if we've been united with Jesus Christ in his death. People don't see us walking around with a huge board saying, I'm a Christian, or God's made massive promises to me and I should now live all out for him. No, true circumcision is hidden. It's also from birth, isn't it? Or rather, new birth. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, our old sinful nature is cut off. It marks the beginning of a a new life in Jesus. The old has gone. We're a new creation. It's hidden. It's from birth. Also, it's for all. You can't be part of God's people without being united to Christ and his death. And now it's not just for men, but men and women, there are no exceptions. All in Christ need to be truly circumcised. It's permanent. Once we've had our old sinful nature cut off by being united to Jesus and his death, there is no going back. There can't be. It's now who we are for life. It's true for us for the rest of eternity. And finally, just see under point three again, it is necessary. We have no part of God's people. We remain cut off unless Christ has died on our behalf and our old sinful nature has been cut off. Is that not immensely encouraging? If we're a Christian, we can look to our circumcision at the cross and be confident of a personal relationship with God. We can know we've been freed to walk before him and be blameless. It reminds us also, doesn't it, of, of how to live. So, so Doris. Doris uh, slips up once again. She's got mad at the kids. She knows she's gossiped at work. She's lied to her friends. She doesn't really want to admit it, but she's not read her Bible for over a week. Doris, look to the cross. Look to your 
true circumcision and remember God's covenant. He has committed to be your God. Even when we've stuffed up, just like Abraham a chapter earlier, we can still have confidence. But remember, Doris, you still need to live like one of God's people. Your old sinful nature has been cut off. Live like it. Or Hector. Hector's feeling far from God. Life's been pretty crummy recently. He's, he lost his job completely out of the blue. Struggling to sleep. Doesn't have the energy he used to. Well, just like an Israelite in Egypt or an exile reading Genesis 17, look to your circumcision and remember God's covenant. Look to the cross and that hidden sign of being united with Jesus in his death. Know that God is with you and for you because of the cross. It is an everlasting covenant. It's a permanent sign. You are the offspring of Abraham if you're trusting in Jesus, the true offspring of Abraham. And Hector, don't forget circumcision is also a sign of the required response to walk before the Lord and be blameless. Perhaps we know we've never made that heart response to God. Being a Christian is not about what we look like on the outside, not how good our attendance is at church or how religious our lives look. But have we turned to Jesus in repentance and faith? Have we been united with him in his death and had our old sinful nature cut off that we might live for God before him and being blameless? And if that is true for us, then gloriously, wonderfully, we are part of the nations promised to Abraham. See, true circumcision in Christ is how God keeps his promise to Abraham. Sure, many physical nations did come from him. We can read on to Genesis 25 and read some of them. But what do we find ultimately in Revelation 7? A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray together. Those words again from Deuteronomy 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Father God, we thank and praise you that you have kept your covenant. You always keep your promises. Thank you that you have kept it in and through Jesus. That by being united to him in his death, we can have our old sinful nature cut off. That we might be able to walk before you and be blameless. We praise you for Jesus. Please help us to be more grateful for him. And as we look to that true circumcision at the cross would we be reminded of your commitment to us, your unbreakable promises, and the requirement of living by faith, walking before you blamelessly. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.